0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Food with Bid Food podcast. I'm Joe Anglis and I'm excited to say that this will be the first of three episodes on our food and drinks trends update for 2021. We usually launch our trends annually before Christmas, but since this has been a year like no other with things moving at such a quick pace, our Insights team have decided to launch an update that deep dives into three key trends. They are wellness my way, careful consumption and global cuisines. Global cuisines is what we'll be focusing on in this episode. Our normal way of living was totally shaken up due to lockdowns, and this has had a direct impact on consumer eating habits too. For this episode, we'll be talking about what cuisines stand out the most and have the most opportunity for the rest of the year. To co-host this episode with me, I'm glad to welcome Catherine Hinchcliffe, who is our Head of Corporate Marketing and Insights. So, Catherine, we're going to do this episode in a slightly different format to usual, with it being more like a panel discussion to talk through the subject. But who do we have joining us today?
1: We've got three fascinating guests joining us for this episode. Firstly, we have Martin Eshelby, who is our Food Innovation Manager here at Bidfood, a hugely talented and innovative chef, um, which you will have seen some of the recipes, actually. He's presented at the Bidfood Kitchen webinar. And we're also joined today by uh, Michal Seal, who is the Marketing and Corporate Communications Director at Elio UK and an expert in food trends, a real thought leader in new innovation into the industry. And then finally, we have Carl Chessel, who heads up the business unit for food and retail at CGA, and has a huge amount of knowledge and insight to share to help us break down what consumers are looking for when eating out.
0: It sounds like we've got like some really knowledgeable guests joining us for today, so I won't delay us any further. Let's welcome them on. Joining Catherine and I now is Martin, Mihao, and Carl. I'll start off by welcoming Martin back onto the podcast. So, Martin, as the food innovation manager in our food development team, can you share with our audience a bit about your experience, what you do in your role now, and the support you've been providing for our food and drinks trends for this year?
2: Yeah, so um, I've I've done this for a number of years on helping with the trends and um, creating the recipes around that. Again, that's that's a really exciting part of my role but also for the wider part I do work with the culinary team, category managers, buyers, looking at the ranges that we uh, list and tasting lots of products.
0: Sounds great, thank you Martin. Next up to welcome onto the podcast is Michal. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: No problem Joe. thanks for inviting me.
0: No problem. Uh, Can you share a little bit about what your background is and what you do for Elior?
3: Sure, so um, Elior is a pretty diverse business. So we've got various different divisions. We've got education, BNI, healthcare and care, and stadia and concessions. And my role spans across all of those divisions, all with quite different customer needs states. So I'm responsible for CSR, our chef development team, um, a concept development team, a digital team, and a team of um,
4: dieticians.
0: Sounds great. Sounds very busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thank you, Carl. Thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast. Oh, thank you
4: for having me. Nice no, pleasure. I'm looking forward
0: to it. So Carl, can you share a little bit about your experience and insights in the for the industry and your role with CGA?
4: Yeah, of course. So yeah, I've been in and around hospitality for around 20 years, mainly on the data and insight side of things. And that's what we do at CGA. So I work on a daily basis with some of the leading operators in the sector, obviously a number of food service clients as well so hopefully i can add a bit from a data perspective on what we're seeing around some of the food trends at the moment
0: so as we're in a place now where restrictions are lifting what changes in consumer choice are you seeing that are influencing what people choose on their menus
4: i think firstly we're seeing less choice for the consumer at the moment i think there's there's probably two time lenses to look at this through as the market reopened a lot of operators reduced their menu so many are offering from our EPOS data around half the number of main menu items that they did. So there's a sense of slightly less choice, um, obviously a bit more focused on outdoor dining. So I think we're not quite out of the woods clearly in terms of the, the full reopen. On the back of that, I think consumers are returning to favorites. The types of occasions they're going out on are fairly low tempo. They're with close family and friends. So there's definitely been a spike in those traditional consumer favorites. But I don't see that as a long-term thing. I think our love as food as a nation is going to come to the fore. And as we come back to the sector, more and more people are going to get more choosy. Uh, and some of their key drivers around choice are things like health, sustainability. Um, there's also a sense of people choosing where to go and staying more local. Some research we did with Bidfood showed that 75% of consumers now really want to support their local venues. Um, but some of those underlying drivers, like quality, absolutely still there. Um, So 59% of consumers agreeing that post-COVID that's more important than ever. People have missed the quality they get from the out-of-home sector.
1: Thanks, Carl. Um, I want to ask the next question um, of Michal. Are you seeing any of these sort of trends evidenced across um, all of the uh, sites and channels that you serve? So, I mean, I'd echo um, what Carl said
3: in, in terms of less choice. So we're obviously operating with significantly reduced menus in some of our sectors at the moment, as most high street retailers are. So what we're seeing is more consumers buying our best sellers. um, And where we want to continue to innovate is around those best sellers. And that's given us more impetus to do so. I think um, the smaller menus have also shown many operators that you can actually drive Higher ATV, higher spend from consumers with a with a tighter menu, and it, that will be a key learning for us going forward. How do we um, reduce our menus in order to remain profitable but still give consumers sufficient choice?
1: You must be constantly looking towards what's new on the horizon. Um, how do you keep ahead of the curve? So we. Um, have quite a
3: diverse business. And We've got um, quite a significant business in the US. So we, we're in regular contact with our, my, well, I'm in regular contact with my US counterparts to understand what the trends are that, there. Because I think we're, we're all conscious that they often emerge in the US before they emerge in the UK. Aside from that, we keep a really close eye on competition. Um, we try and understand what's going on in you know, markets internationally outside of the US. And we um, do do a bit of insight ourselves.
0: And uh, Carl, um, has the actual experience of being in lockdown influenced what people are choosing on their menus, do you think?
4: I think it has. As I said, um, and, and the touched on it as well, there has been that less choice initially. Um, and obviously, the market had to open for outdoor only initially. So therefore, that lent itself to foods that were easy to eat, didn't go cold as quickly, um, so, a barbecue burger for example was a big seller um, I think as I said I think that's uh, potentially a, a more of a short-term trend though I think as more and more restaurants have opened for indoor dining I think people will look for the flavors and clearly that's a big topic of the podcast today I think people will have looked for those favorites initially um, but as they move forward we know that people um, really enjoy um, being adventurous around food so I think we'll see that trend re-emerge as we move forward.
1: Michele, are you also seeing that sort of sense of adventure with the choices that uh, your consumers are making?
3: So I think our consumers are being a bit more adventurous in terms of vegan, flexitarian um, dishes than they previously had been. And there's a a little bit of um, a sense of being more adventurous around perhaps kind of Korean cuisines, which weren't so prevalent in the market a couple of years ago. Um, But generally particularly in our markets, consumers tend to flock back to bestsellers. So, you know, the English breakfast, the burger, the pizza, et cetera. Um, And and the way we try as a business to innovate new food trends is within those best-selling items. So for example, how can we introduce an on-trend burger, perhaps a Korean burger, um, rather than creating a really authentic dish that perhaps isn't going to have so much
1: resonance with our consumer set? So you mix and match trends a little bit.
3: Yeah, we we try and create fusion dishes that um, are going to remain relevant, but also do have a nod to whatever the current food trend is.
1: And of course, the more of those you take, the more broad the appeal, I guess. Yes,
3: um, exactly. And I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more um, talk within the market around vegan, flexitarian, Etc. cetera. And that's also something we're really trying to incorporate into each day part. I think previously as a business and, and many contract caterers would, would have been in the same boat. If we had one vegan dish on the menu throughout the day, that would have been sufficient. But actually where we're getting to is we need something within each subcategory now, because um, that trend is becoming more and more important. Having said that, we do see um, a lot more focus around Uh, vegan in London
1: versus um, you know the north that's a very interesting point we'll pick up a little later in the discussion
0: (laughs) yes we will Um, and Martin we've spoken a little bit about some of the cuisines but uh, what cuisines would you say are are rising the most um, and why would you say they're so popular
2: well, I, I think coming through now is you've got the obviously Southeast Asian, the Korean, which we t- touched on a little bit there. Middle Eastern flavors are becoming sort of more popular. Um, so those Razzle Noot style herbs, spices, things like that. Regional Chinese as well. So Sichuan noodle bowls. So I did one one of the recipes, which um, actually was part of the trends, was a Sichuan burrito, beef burrito. Um, which is pan-fried. It's got all of those flavors, and, and it's a bit of a twist on a fusion cuisine, as it were. And then, obviously, you've got the whole global flavors, so miso, caramels, honey, chili, bell fried chicken buns, all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's quite an exciting time, uh, I think, for flavors and all of these different cuisines of of melting pots of flavors.
1: Yeah, I think there's a sense from certainly the research that we've done that um, consumers are quite happy to go out when they eat out and try things that they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable cooking at home themselves, as well as the points about quality and adventure that uh, that Carl made earlier. Um, Martin, some of these cuisines have been growing in popularity for some time. Have they accelerated in popularity do you think since the pandemic began or are we just seeing a continuation of their previous popularity
2: I think some of them are a continuation but you've always got you know the new ones coming through and and that I touched earlier about the regional Chinese flavors as well so the Szechuans and the you know hand pulled noodles steamed bao buns and all of that but I think definitely you know some have continued and some have grown so um It's sort of a a mixture, really.
1: And certainly when people are playing around with some of the global cuisines and fusion mixes, there are a few ingredients, aren't there, that are popping up as quite popular. Are there any that spring to mind that you've seen on the up quite a lot at the moment?
2: Well, things like, you know, obviously the the gang pastes, that sort of thing are becoming a little bit more popular. Some of the spices, harissa, zorg. Um, which is, a, you know, a, a dressing that I made, actually made one with tahini, which, uh, again, goes on a roasted cauliflower with a, a vegan product with some vegan feta that's marinated and those types of things. So, yeah, and, and sort of mixing it up like the miso caramel that I mentioned earlier on a dessert, things like that. So just little, little things that people recognise, but they would like to try them.
1: Things like Miso and, and Deja and sure yeah, I guess. That's it. List yeah. To. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, Martin. And um, we're going to be back in just a moment when we're going to talk about the development of consumer needs. Welcome back. Martin. For the cuisines that are growing the most in food service, what sort of sentiments or needs do you think are influencing people's choices for these? Is it ingredient-led?
2: I think to to a degree it's ingredients-led, but also it's, you know, people haven't been able to travel and, you know, the world is getting smaller, but from a culinary perspective, it continues to expand with you know, like the well-established cuisines and and people want to still try different ingredients. And um, yeah, just, just, you know, things are becoming a little bit more popular, I guess.
1: Do you think they're looking for cuisines that they find a bit difficult to cook themselves? Or do you feel that people are wanting to compensate for not being able to travel abroad and experience different cultures by sort of choosing to experience a little bit of that through food and drink? I think it's probably a little bit of both, actually. I think, um,
3: you know, as a nation, we're probably going to have to do a lot more staycationing this year. And people want a sense of adventure and holiday. So they'll be looking to those restaurants that they that they dine out in during those staycation periods, and they'll be looking for a bit more exoticism within their dining out choices. I think, um, you know, recipe kits, Mindful Chef, et cetera, have have become um, a lot more prevalent within the market. And within those kind of kits, those companies make it a lot easier for consumers to cook more exotic dishes at home and give them the confidence to do so.
0: They absolutely do. Thank you. And Carl, have you seen any differences in the needs of people for different demographics?
4: Yes, to an extent. I think it, it's too simplistic to say it's just demographics, but certainly younger people tend to be more engaged with the sector. Uh, And when I say younger, I'm talking quite broad, including myself in that. So up to sort of pre-retirement age, really, we, we are interested in food as a nation. Um, we we are turning into a nation of foodies. From our data, we're seeing that 58% of consumers are saying it's important for them to be able to try new food trends. So it's kind of part of our our DNA to try new foods now. I don't think it's purely about um, younger people, but certainly there is a a portion of the population that are more engaged. Um, But I think love of food now is, is relatively mainstream.
1: And Carl, another one for you actually. Do you feel that there are any differences in what consumers are choosing to eat when they're eating outdoors? versus when they're eating indoors because still a lot of people are outdoors when you go out and about
4: yeah, absolutely and and yes i think is the short answer um, from some research we did recently um, over a third of consumers when eating outdoors would order different food obviously there are certain types of food that are much easier to eat outdoor um, and there's perhaps a sense that you don't want it to be too too fiddly you don't want it to go cold too quickly and obviously some Foods you actually associate with outdoors. So I mentioned earlier barbecue food like burgers, Um, we've seen them really, um, uh, sales being really driven through through that type of food. Um, And I think now, yes, as we've gone to more indoor dining and that will clearly continue more and more as more venues open and hopefully the restrictions uh, are removed as soon as possible. I think then we will see people um, eating more indoors and and choosing uh, perhaps more, more complex foods.
0: Geographically, is there any difference in terms of the pickup and trends across the country?
4: There is, yeah, I think, um, I think Mahal touched on it earlier, um, where we do see that um, like London obviously is a multicultural city, it's an international city, it does lead... Um, but actually, there are a number of other key regional cities now that are absolutely stepping up. So we're based near Manchester. It's got its first Michelin star now for, for 40 years. Um, places like Leeds, Liverpool are also providing wide choice. Um, I think we're seeing the, the demand for trends actually quite broad. Supply is often the issue. So it's not that the demand isn't there. But unless you're near one of these key regional cities, you don't necessarily have the choice to dine in. And that's where delivery plays a role. Dark kitchens are playing a role. And also things like street food and food halls. So where we are based near Stockport, there's a food hall. And in there, for example, there's a great Cambodian, um, Cambodia it's called, and they're also in Ultraman market. um, And they're also in bricks and mortar in a nearby suburb. So this is a good way for people, I think, to at a low rent cost, be able to provide that choice to consumers.
0: So there's a great way for giving people the option to try loads of different flavors and cuisines isn't it yeah very much so
4: and i think that's uh, it's a good way even to incubate brands as well so we're also seeing um, brands start in in these street food environments and then move to bricks and mortar and uh, thunderbird chicken being one example and um, that are now got a number of sites in london um, but started as a kind of street food venue
0: yes absolutely and talking about uh, different flavors and trying different things. Martin, would you say there is a, an element of fusion of ingredients across countries and cultures happening too?
2: I think there is actually. You know, though I I did a, a recipe not so long back, a, a pad Thai chicken nachos, which actually turned out quite well. But yeah, the, you've got all of those types of uh, cuisines that sort of melt together uh, and work uh, really well as flavor concepts. So yeah, I, I definitely see that as a plus.
1: Michal, um, can I ask the next question of you? Um, These trends that we're seeing in London, are we seeing the same patterns or different patterns emerging regionally across your estate? We do see
3: locations outside of London take up these trends, albeit at a slower pace. So, for example, we've all seen a lot of press around low alcohol beers spirits etc so that that's certainly a trend that we see in London but if we look at Scotland for example that that hasn't been adopted in the same way yet but within the next kind of six to 12 months we'd anticipate it that it is adopted some other trends are a bit easier to take regionally so if we look at for example the the brand Jolly bee um, who seem to be expanding really rapidly within the UK one of their first sites, I think it was Leicester, um, outside of London. So it depends um, on the particular cuisine and what the consumer profile is, is like in, in each area. Eventually, we do see these trends adopted. It just tends to take a little bit longer.
1: And do you think that trends like Korean or Vietnamese, say, are becoming more mainstream now? And if so, how can you incorporate them on a menu that's not specifically Southeast Asian?
3: yes absolutely korean in particular i think vietnamese for us has been around for a little bit longer so we try and create hybrid products so we we know for example that fried chicken sells really well we'd create a korean fried chicken dish which is still very typical of korean cuisine but it's it's probably not the extreme end of of how adventurous you could be with it um we also incorporate kind of Asian curries. I actually just signed off some Korean salads a couple of days ago, which were really delicious. But again, it's an Asian salad base with Asian rice, and then a Korean chicken in a Korean marinade. So we try and create hybrid products that we know are going to resonate with consumers and be bestsellers,
1: rather than going for the really, really adventurous dishes. So you combine a touch of the familiar format, and a little of the adventurous flavor.
3: Yes, absolutely.
2: I'd have to agree there as well. I think it's, it's quite key that people are, are safe with the with the flavour profiles that they're looking at as well.
4: Yeah, I think particularly when you're looking at food service. Um, yeah. I think when you're looking at sort of smaller restaurants, they'll, they'll perhaps stay truer to their roots. But I think you're right if you want to make this accessible. Um, chicken tikka masala is a good example, isn't it? Where it's sort of altered to our palate.
0: One final question for all of you. Um, I'll start with you, Martin, but what is the trend or cuisine that stands out the most to you as having the most success in the next year? Now,
2: there's a question. I think um, for me, it's probably still the whole global um, experience cuisine. So those different flavours coming through from different areas. Um, And I think there's a lot more longevity of, of building recipes and concepts around
0: that absolutely that's a great answer and Michal, what do you think
3: i think there's a massive opportunity for a rise in more kind of barbecue grill type restaurants given how much more regularly consumers are going to be eating outside and how some restaurants have adapted to changing their menu and changing their kitchen setup to cater to that there was. There's also a really good cookbook out um, recently from the guys who own Honey and Co. called Chasing Smoke, which which is purely focused on cooking cooking over fire, and I think that's a trend we're going to be seeing more and more of.
0: That's uh, definitely one that I'm absolutely obsessed with at the moment. So I I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. And then finally, Carl, what do you think? Yeah,
4: it's hard to disagree with with what the others have said. I think we're seeing some food types that people are looking for that they really want to try so things like burmese and filipino but obviously it's going to take time for them to become more mainstream so i think at the moment it's some of the ones those that have been referenced uh, middle eastern is another one that we've touched on in the on the podcast and i'm looking forward to trying simon shaw's opening a new restaurant in manchester called habas which is based on that middle eastern um food and i'm looking forward to trying that
0: perfect that's great um, there was some fantastic insight there and I personally found it really interesting to hear your thoughts from sort of an insight agency chef and operator perspective but before I wrap things up for the episode Catherine I just want to say thank you for being such a fantastic co-host
1: thanks Joe. it's been a fascinating discussion I've really enjoyed it
0: no problem at all and of course thank you to our guests Carl thank you for joining us and sharing your insights Oh, well, thanks so much for having me enjoyed it uh, and Martin thank you for coming back and sharing your thoughts No problem. It was a pleasure. And finally, thank you, Michal, for joining us and sharing your expertise on this exciting topic.
3: Thanks for inviting me.
0: No problem at all. The good news is Catherine will be back joining me again as a co-host in our upcoming episode to talk through the trend of careful consumption. However, before that, next up in the series, we'll be focusing on the other theme of our trends update, which is wellness my way, where I'll be joined by Holly Rogers from our insights team, our nutritionist, Samantha Elliott, and Wayne Wright from our food development team. This should be a really good one. If you're looking for more info on what we've discussed today, you'll be able to find our 2021 Trends page on our website, bidfood.co.uk. Or alternatively, we also have another episode from earlier in the year on cuisines to look out for, which is definitely worth a listen. Until next time, goodbye.